This is Robert Dillon, and welcome to the Help Me Understand podcast, a learning conversation designed to release trap wisdom into the system through a series of interviews with everyday awesome people. Hope you enjoy the ideas, questions, resources, and laughs that come with guests helping me to understand a wide variety of topics. Here we go. Good day, and welcome to the Help Me Understand podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Michelle Eaton. We talk about her new book that helps educators unpack the key ideas around a blended learning environment. She shares a ton of insight from her work with Wayne Township Schools and her effort to support teachers throughout Indiana and the country. Michelle is dedicated to doing impactful work, and you can hear that passion throughout the episode. Enjoy this fun conversation with Michelle Eaton. Hey there, uh, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is uh, great to uh, have you, A, because you're doing a lot of tremendous work, but also because uh, it's a lot of fun to have people that uh, I know can laugh and joke and enjoy being with us today. So uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Um, So Michelle Eaton, I am the Director of Virtual and Blended Learning for um, the MSD of Wayne Township in Indianapolis. So public school district of about 17,000 kiddos. We have a fully virtual school and then several blended programs. So I get to oversee course design and professional learning um, for, for those folks. And then- cool. um, So like we've wandered around in this term, right? Like virtual and blended, kind of give me a sense of what that means for Wayne Township and then Indiana in general. Where are you guys kind of in that, what that means for you guys? Okay, yeah, so the virtual high school is completely online. So the students um, work from all over the state remotely, some full-time, some part-time. Um, and then they, we see them face-to-face for a proctorate exam and for graduation, pretty much. Um, but then our blended programs, uh, we consider blended learning kind of any hybrid of traditional face-to-face teaching and online instruction. Um, and so that, we consider that to fall on a spectrum. So um, we see blended learning happening in our traditional classrooms with even our youngest learners where we're using a little bit of online learning, um, usually in like stations or something like that, um, all the way into some more alternate settings where the students are working through online courses at their own pace with teachers present, um, pulling small groups and doing some direct instruction in that way. So blended learning looks, um, is pretty varied across the district, but that's pretty much how we um, think about it. Yeah, and I think that we're seeing, uh, I mean, the world's headed that way. Like, there's no coming back. Like, we've gone off the cliff and we're driving down that way, (laughs) in a good way, in a good way. But um, where are you seeing two years ago, we weren't doing it here, and now we're doing it here? Maybe it's like AP physics or our third grade or something in middle school. What's happening that wasn't happening two years ago in blended learning? And maybe it was because of the work you're doing or maybe it was just because of momentum. I think what we're seeing, um, I think we're seeing it being more commonplace in traditional buildings. It's not as scary of a thought to think about what our classes look like if it's a little bit different. So um, for us at our flagship high school, For example, a couple of years ago, we introduced a blended Spanish class, and it was mostly to address credit recovery. Um, So it was teaching Spanish uh, one, two, and three in the same classroom um, with a teacher who also taught at our online high school for Spanish. Um, And so, but what was interesting is that starting out with credit recovery, you know, looking to serve a very specific population, 
um, we had so much success with it and that student, students were performing so well in this environment and uh, many were preferring it that they started opening it up to additional credit. And now this is this huge program. This teacher teaches only blended Spanish all day and we're seeing a lot of success. So I, I think things that once were um, just to serve a population that what their needs weren't being met, so blended learning is the solution for them, I think we're starting to iterate on that and see how it can just fit into the regular school day. And I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, here in St. Louis, we've been, um, we work really closely with Springfield Public Schools. They have kind of our biggest virtual high school here. Uh, but what we're having conversations now, like why can't we have seventh and eighth graders take freshman English? Great. Right, like why not? Like if they're ready and they've shown that, um, what would that look like? And so that creates all kinds of like logistic adult problems, but they're not kid problems, right? They're adult problems that we have to figure out to serve our kids best uh, around that. Um, talk a little bit about where you see things going. Like in five years, could you see a place where kids dropped in every once in a while and had some facilitators and they were, I mean, where do you see this going? I mean, where, where's the end of blended learning for you? Oh, the end. I don't like to think about the end. I think um... the, the beginning of the end again. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm too young to be thinking about the end. Um, the I, I think I think the big shift now is um, really focusing in on how blended learning can become the medium for personalization and figuring out what that looks like in the classroom. Um, personalization is one of those things that you're going to be hard pressed to find teachers that don't believe in it. Like we want students to have agency and could, like ownership of their learning, um, and that's something that pretty consistently we all agree with but then when we think about how you scale that what that actually looks like in the day-to-day -day, that's that's where it falls apart um, and I think that blended learning becomes this um, strategy I guess or the creates this environment where that is more feasible um, and so I think that's where the work goes now it's not necessarily thinking about the structures or how we're using online classes but it's really how we're using it to allow students to be in the driver's seat of their learning yeah I think very cool and I think that blended learning as a concept whether it has a different adjective in front of it or whatever is kind of this sync between digital space and physical space, right? It's changing the way classrooms look, it's changing the way that curriculum's delivered, it's changing communication strategy between teachers and kids. Um, so I'm excited as I play out a lot of my learning space design work, how uh, these digital spaces are going to be changing as well. Um, are, are you seeing adult learning change and become more blended as well? Or are you, how are you modeling that through your work? Oh, for sure, this is, um one of the most fun things about my job is getting to uh, rethink professional learning. So um, we are, because I work primarily with online and blended teachers, um, I have specific like obstacles about getting people physically together. Like for our virtual school staff, we don't have a building to get together and our teachers, we have some teachers all over the country. Um, so we have to have online learning as part of our professional learning. It's also, I think, good practice. It's hard to be an advocate for online learning if you haven't experienced high quality sure. you know, online learning yourself. And most of us, if we experience online learning as students in college or wherever, um, chances are we probably have experienced bad online learning in some capacity, and that's just a reality. So, um, so we certainly provide 
asynchronous online learning for PD. We do webinars. We have um, lots of different options. And that's kind of how we started out, was just getting used to learning in this space. Um, and now we've moved into a highly personalized approach. And um, based off of, you know, talking about personalization for a couple of years even and not seeing the, the lever move at all, um, again, great conversations, people are on board, but then implementing it just seemed so, um, I don't know, uh, like this huge goal that was on top of all the other tasks you had to do, it was something that we couldn't get done. So um, we started, we designed some um, PD together around um, our school improvement plan goals. And so we, we developed individualized learning plans for each of our virtual school teachers, which um, was pretty cool. I designed it the first time and it failed, just to be frank. Um, right, that happens, right? And, I yeah. Say. I mean, it didn't, I mean, we didn't, we had the same, it was all voluntary PD and we had the same percentage of people participating in it that we had before doing it the old way. Um, the people that were still showing up liked it, but I wasn't like getting any more engagement. I don't think it was this transformative thing that I thought it was going to be. Um, and then what was missing, you know, we think about personalization as uh, voice and choice, and I got the choice part right. So on these ILPs, they could choose what activities they were going to do, when they were going to do it, track their progress. Um, and that was great and provided lots of choice, um, but it was still my PD plan. Yeah, like I get, to, I get to choose from the things Michelle tells me yes. I have to learn about. Yes, exactly. So it was my voice, but nobody else's. And that's why it was no different. And so um, when we got after that first year, after I sold this story that this was going to, you know, transform how we're going <laughs> to do professional learning um, and then it fell flat, you know, I had to show up in front of these teachers and, um, you know, tell them that I failed and we got together and redesigned it. I took, we took tons and tons of feedback, what worked, but like most importantly, you didn't show up, like why, what, what kept you, what, what would bring you to the table, what are the things that you mm -hmm. want, and um, then redesigned it, and that second year, we went from 35% attendance in this voluntary PD setting to 90%, just like wow. that, yeah, it was, it was exciting, and it was because I stepped back and stopped like trying to be in the center of, of the learning that was happening. Um, I know. I, you know, I went through the same thing here at University City where people are like, when are you going to do tech training? I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing it. But if you need your help, I will be here whenever. I will be 24-7. If you send me an email, you'll get a response. But I'm not going to put a date on the calendar and have stuff, right? Like, I'm just not doing it. And people are like, what? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get the same positive impact of me not scheduling things and beating my head against the wall as if I'm just available. And uh -huh. so that shift like kind of blew people away. I mean, like, like you, it wasn't always successful, but like it was this idea that we have to break the mold. And so I just appreciate that. And hopefully your teachers are saying, well, if that worked when she gave me voice. Yeah. Will that work for my students if I give them voice? And they make that transference. I think that's yep. important. I think that's when we started seeing things shift in our classrooms. I mean, yep. It's one of those like duh moments, right? Like I lectured for a couple of years on personalization then wondered why nothing was happening. Yeah, uh, but I, I also appreciate you do some work outside of Wayne Township there and you do some work around the state of Indiana and uh, most recently you've kind of put to paper uh, some guide and some work for folks in a way of a book. So tell me a little bit about your work beyond uh, your district and a little bit about the book uh, that is going to hopefully be kind of another ingredient to help people grow and learn. 
Yeah, I'm really excited about the book. Um, it's up for pre-order now. It's available in May, but um, it's called The Perfect Blend. And the book is for K-12 classroom teachers, um, pretty much like traditional classroom teachers. When I, when I think about what's available out there when we talk about blended learning, we often talk about it from like the systems approach, which is great. Um, we, if you're gonna create a blended school or a blended program, um, all of that's really important. And I also think that we get um, kind of siloed into thinking about blended learning and here are the you know six or seven different models of blended learning and I'm going to implement the flex model with efficacy um, and I think that a blended learning environment in a real classroom is pretty flexible and fluid and I think that's one of the best things about it so um, I mentioned before you know I think about blended learning on a spectrum and I don't think about it as these like individual um, different models and so the book really is all about embracing um, teacher as architect of learning mm -hmm. um, and the, the role there in designing experiences that are very specific to um, your students and what you're teaching and um, so the book goes through it's broken up into two parts one is um, kind of what you need to know about the um, traditional teaching aspect of a blended learning classroom um, what happens in the physical classroom and then uh, the other half is the digital classroom the things you need to know about designing the digital content and my hope is that teachers can read this and regardless of the environment that they're in the school that they're in um, whether you know they're with you know in a in a building where the administration even knows what blended learning is that they can take these different aspects and then create their own perfect blend um, in their classroom mm -hmm. and um, feel free to evolve that and change it as the year goes on, as the week goes on even um, for their students. Yeah. Yeah. So let's unpack both those parts a little bit. So one, you kind of in the traditional classroom, there's some elements or there's some probably pieces, ingredients to that. Um, if you were in a classroom that was doing blended learning um, in an effective way, how would the space look? And then like, what would the, what would some of those ingredients be? Like, what, what are some of the tips you would give right away to just a teacher that really doesn't know a ton about blended learning? So um, I, I think the most important, I start the book out not talking about the digital space because I think that's not the most critical part. Um, I think we, it's a quick place to go is like, okay, what am I doing for the online learning? Um, so I, I like us to focus on, you know, what do you want the, students to have agency over. So we think about, there are lots of things students can have control over, uh, the pace of their learning, the path, what it is they're learning, um, where they're learning in the classroom, um, or what time of day they're learning, all those things you can, you can give students agency over. Um, I don't think that we need to give students complete control, like your classroom doesn't need to be the wild, wild west, um, just because you're implementing personalization or blended learning. Um, but I think you have to think about your students and your goals for a lesson and identifying that and then taking that and identifying what your role needs to be from there. So the first part of the book kind of focuses on that, where you're giving students voice and choice. And then here's some tools that you can use to facilitate that. And oh, by creating online learning as a, a portion of that that's happening in your classroom, this makes it feasible. It allows you to kind of clone yourself and make sure that instruction's happening in multiple places, um, giving you the ability to do what only humans can do. Um, and that's that relational relation you know, side of learning. Yeah, and I, I've actually been working with a school in Pennsylvania where um, teachers have found that 
hey, when I do have rich digital options, it actually creates more time for me to do and really target the things that I need to be doing with specific students. And I think that they didn't realize that it was going to be such a gift of time uh -huh. uh, in the long run to the work. And so I think that's pretty powerful. Um, what other things are coming out from the book that you would say, oh, this is a reason for someone to go get that book? Uh, what, what tips are in there? What's something that, uh, you know, have other teachers said like, you know, I've put this, some of these in place and this has really been great. Kind of what, what are the other highlights that really make this a compelling read for folks? Well, um, I'm pretty happy that there's a lot of um, tangible resources you can take. So templates um, that you can use and edit, revise in your own classroom. So I'm excited about that. Um, also in the, the digital learning half of the book, um, I talk about a lot of things I don't think that we we get the opportunity to talk about in schools. Um, and that is digital design and the impacts of designing online and how that impacts our learning. So the book um, covers how we can make sure that our content is accessible. Um, I talk about the design decisions we make that can help ensure that students are retaining and comprehending information um, because we learn differently online than we do in a face-to-face -face environment. Um, but most of us haven't been trained in what that looks like. Um, a lot of times in our classrooms where we go one to one and we get these devices and we're told, you know, go out and put some stuff online and get your students online. But then we don't know how to design that. Um, and so we can actually create situations where it's more difficult for our students to learn because um, we're, we're doing things with good intentions online that don't necessarily work out. Um, so lots of talk about that and, um, and things like strategies for digital reading. We don't read the same way online that we do in print. Um, so I think it's just a really practical read and that's mm -hmm. what I'm most proud of. Like you can grab this and have strategies and tools that you could implement tomorrow. Yeah, and I think I, you know, what you said earlier was really important that if we experienced online learning 10 years ago, that it was the wild west of online learning, it was kind of awful uh, right. and turned <laughs> us off to it, but it's the only model we know and so it's the same thing that I deal with or with classroom space, right? Is that people, uh, this is how they knew classrooms to be. So they set up their classroom to be that. And now we're talking about learning science and how that makes that different. Uh, I hope we don't make the same mistakes when it comes to a digital space, right? Like this is the only model we know. So this is the one we're pushing on kids. Now that we've learned so much about how digital learning um, impacts and how we absorb information and how we interact with people online is different. Um, we've got to apply that. And if we're not, um, kind of shame on us at some point in time. So, um, so some <laughs> final thoughts, um, kind of help me understand where you see um, learning going. Um, I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about uh, small colleges really struggling to get enrollment. I was hearing about schools that are shrinking because of charter school growth. And Indiana is certainly a choice state where very much people can be very fluid around that. Um, what are some of the positives or pressure points you think are gonna be on public education over the next few years? Oh, wow, that's a good one. Um, I, I think, when, so we're in a choice state um, and that means that our district has had to embrace choice within our school district too. Um, and so I think, I think that is, that's why we haven't seen 
the um, effects of students leaving um, in, in that same way. And, and that's because we believe, you can talk to anybody here in our district and um, they'll tell you about the multiple pathways to graduation within uh, Wayne Township. And that's, we have to stop creating these one size fits all um, classrooms for students and forcing them in it and then um, wondering why they leave when they're given the opportunity. So um, in our school district, you know, we have the fully online high school. We have several different blended models. We have a night school that um, for students that for whatever reason coming in during the day is, is not going to be a feasible option and they can work self-paced but still have teachers present. We have blended um, schools where they work more on a bell schedule but still with that flexibility of self-paced um, coursework and then um, within even within our traditional schools creating opportunities like those Spanish classes where um, all our kids are different and so we need to provide those um, differing options for them too. Yeah I see that as well. Missouri um, not as progressive and whether you call that progressive or you call that um, you know uh, squeezing on public education whatever you want to call that but I think that the positives that come from choice is that you do by saying you have school choice, that you have this intra-district level of choice around path and pace. And so done well, um, we will create more paths and more paces and more quality opportunities for kids to learn. And I, I think I'm hopeful uh, that's where things go as opposed to we're putting schools out of business, right? And um, we know that uh, schools, I was talking to someone the other day as um, virus spreads across the country as of we are airing this is that, um, Public health, uh, the school nurses sometimes are the only line of public health that some kids have. And right, like if we take if we take kids and we put them home and away from school, they don't have access to the only health care they have, which is the school nurse. And so uh, schools play a lot bigger role sometimes than uh, accumulating credits and points. Well, even in an online setting, I think I think the thing that we can't forget is um, how much relationships impact learning. And I, I don't think that, you know, computers or even the most sophisticated AI is ever gonna be able to replace what we do. And we have to embrace that um, and let technology do what it does best um, that, to free us up to do what only humans can do. And I think if we make sure we keep that in mind, even in completely remote learning situations, I think we'll be fine. Well, that is a good place to end, Michelle. I'm looking forward to reading the book. I'm looking forward to uh, making sure all the listeners have that information. We'll make sure that's in the show notes. And um, uh, thank you for joining us. And thank you for your hard work. I, I appreciate and I watch from afar um, how you're leading around this work around personalized and blended learning. So thanks for being here. Thanks. Always good to chat with you. Always good. Thanks for listening to the Help Me Understand podcast. For more about my work, you can head over to drrobertdillon.com or follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to rate this podcast as it helps alert others to the great conversations and ideas happening in this space. Until next time, this is Dr. Robert Dillon reminding you that an intentional life is filled with awe, curiosity, and joy. Thank you.